You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to the UCF staff room. I'm Elaine Long. And I am Mark Quinn. We are programme leaders for the UCL Early Career Teacher Development Programme. Why are we in the staff room? We are here because this is where the best professional learning conversations always take place. This is where problems can be aired bluntly and where solutions can be explored. Over the course of this series, we will hear the voices of different colleagues as they come into the ECF staff room. We will hear from early career teachers themselves and from the mentors and induction tutors who support them. We will talk about all things ECF, the challenges and the joys. So why don't you enjoy a coffee with us, perhaps even grab a biscuit and sit down to half an hour of ECF staff room chat. Welcome to the staff room, George. Uh, George Wollstoneholm. George joins us uh, from his school in Oxfordshire. George, you've, you're at the end of a, a busy day. You must tell us what you've been getting up to today. Uh, well, let's see. It got very hectic towards the end because um, I am one of three year four or five classrooms. And um, to make planning a bit easier, we carousel. So on a Monday specifically now, we I do the same lesson three times. <laughs> Oh, okay. In the morning and then twice in the afternoon for for the three different classrooms that come to me. I was I'm in charge of computing, and uh, as you know, as you can probably imagine, it's um, it's a bit difficult to teach for year four and five simultaneously. You have to make sure that everything is uh, differentiated appropriately for each level and they're getting the right content. And so we got a bit uh, got a bit hectic as I was running out <laughs> of time towards the end of the day. But otherwise, I well, I think it's going well. My, my head is spinning, so your head must be spinning uh, doubly. So um, you're in our staff room, so we offer you a drink. So uh, take a tea or coffee. How do you take it? Uh, this time of night, I take a decaf coffee with a little splash of milk and two sugars. Uh, so you, a coffee with all the ingredients. Oh, of course. And, yeah. and you take a biscuit with that? A uh, biscuit of choice is a custard cream. You cannot go wrong with the custard you cream. I, go wrong with the custard cream. I know that we have custard creams, Elaine. So while I'm getting those sorted out, why don't you start speaking to George? Nice. I will. And I'm sure our listeners are keen to find out a bit more about the person behind that uh, custard cream and the year four, five lesson. So can you introduce yourself for our listeners, please? Uh, well, my name is George Wollstoneholm, and in the classroom I go by Mr W because I found that many uh, students find my last name a bit hard to pronounce on the first time around. So Mr W is how it goes, and when you know it, but my father is also called Mr W. He's a, he is a, um, a uh, primary school teacher as well. And so there was a brief moment during my training where I was doing um, a week-long internship at his class and I was Mr. W. Jr., which I think just solidified just how much I love that last name. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, as I said before, I'm a year four or five teacher and um, I gotta say is what I, what I love most about the job would definitely be the moment where it sort of like clicks inside that child's head and you see that light bulb moment happen. And um, it's just a moment where like, oh, right, that's how it works. That's why we do it. And like, it, it, it certainly just feels me like, yes, success happened just, just then. That's great. Uh, George, we, um, 
we spotted you. We talent spotted you. Um, you 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 were one of the uh, very many people who filled in your end of module completion mm. forms, and we liked what you said. So we thought you'd be an ideal guest. We know that you're in the second year of of the ECF program uh, mm. with uh, UCL, so you're now getting on with your third inquiry, I guess your your mm. your major inquiry for this for this term on module eight. So. Um, uh, can you tell us anything about your your first inquiries that you did uh, before Christmas? You might have done a one or two inquiries before Christmas. I've I managed two different inquiries. The first one uh, was an exploration on behavior management and how effective timers are in both classroom preparation and classroom, you know, packing away. I found that um, through continued use and continued practice, I just quite managed to lower lower down the amount of time that I give the pupils in the class to either get ready for the next task or to pack away their things. And um, I started off with five minutes, that and very quickly that became like it was very generous amount of time that I gave them. They were ready within a few minutes, and I was like, okay, all right, then so I can cut down the time. And um, towards the end of my first inquiry, I came up with this sort of like visual model where. Um, um, the first half of it was giving them giving them the right expectations. By the end of this timer, you will have gotten your math books out and I've got and and um, every, and put the reading books away. And then I set the timer and then I just leave them to it. I, I trust them now. They're trained. They get it. Um, the one problem with that is that by the time they, they get their math books out, they have the date and title. There were like maybe a handful that were just like sort of sitting there, just waiting out the timer. <laughs> Or even worse, just sort of like the timer still going on and they know that they can get it done within like 30 seconds if they really apply themselves. So they're stood next to their friends having a chat while the time's going down. So <laughs> my solution to that was to um, have a continuous task at the end of the timer. So by the end of this timer, you will have started these starter questions or you will have started this big, the this opening task. And that cuts down a bit on the chatter, a bit on the tick and the mick, whilst also just keeping that time of preparation as slim as possible. I considered that very successful as it gave me a very handy tool and a very handy routine that the kids recognize. And so I use that almost daily and hourly at, at times. But my second inquiry, <laughs> oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a tale. Uh, the long and short of it is that it was a classic case of me biting off far more than I could chew. So I wanted to do something I was passionate about. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind was theatre, drama, performance. And I wanted to include that in my inquiry in some fashion. And wouldn't you know it, but it was Christmas time and we were looking at Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And I thought, how brilliant would it be if I could put on my little class production of a Christmas Carol, and my inquiry was, how does perform, how does rehearsal and performing um, increase the um, the oralcy of my daily readers? So I have a group list of children who read with my TA on the daily, and um, how does rehearsal, that process of learning a script, performing it, um, increase their reading ability? And to mm -hmm. my credit, the rehearsal process was incredibly useful. Like the data I got was just brilliant but it was also christmas time on the sec on the second half of term and um there were loads of other priorities that i had to uh, make sure that we um got through 
And in the end, it turned out that I had to say, I'm really sorry, guys. I know that we've been trying our best with this, but I'm going to have to say we can't perform it. I'm going to have I'm going to have to prioritize um, whatever it was we were doing. The assessment. Ah, humbug, Mr. W. No, right. And so for what it's worth, the inquiry itself was incredibly beneficial because I got a lot of I got a lot of insight on how, um, you know, just learning those 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 if I if those well balanced lines of Dickens and it was an abridged version as it was but it was still more or less the original language that um, was used and it was just and the oh, the response I got when I first announced that I was going to try this they were so engaged they were so excited at this opportunity that um, we, were, we were going to try but sadly nothing um, nothing came to fruition I ended up having to email the parents saying I'm very sorry but um, we tr we tried our best and it, w it wasn't to be this time I know I want to include drama and theatre in my teaching in some fashion but uh, at the very least, I know I can't. It's not a quick process. It's something that really needs to have time and effort put into it, and the space for it as well. I'm I'm going to guess mm. that your mentor told you that. Yes, almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, and I was determined. I was very determined when I came on the side. Like this is this is the this is the idea. This is the one. I'm so thrilled. I have found this idea because I've been wanting to do this. Wanted to put theatre in here somewhere forever. And what? Lo and behold, the ECF has granted me an inquiry. I can justify it by gathering data as I go. But it 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 it, it um. <laughs> but George, it, what the ECF gives with the one hand, it takes away with the other, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just. It was, it was just a question of time, and there was so, not enough of it. So, so there's oh, a lesson learned there, isn't there? That oh, absolutely. Inquiries uh, have I, to be fitted uh, into your. When, into as your... I real, as I came to this conclusion, I realised that I would rather be ambitious and fail than to fail to be ambitious. And so, we gave it our honest to god best best um, go, but it um, it never happened. I, 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 I imagine your pupils forgave you in the end, George. But can I just ask you to go back to your first inquiry? which is the one about using the timers and and, and mm. in order to help more time be to be more time efficient i suppose yeah. what guided you to that question well i i will say this up front i adore my class they are wonderful and what struck me first about them when i first met them at the beginning of um, september was just how hard working they are but then little habits started creeping in Little habits such as, you know, because um, the, you know, the, I'll say it's date, start, date, title, starter, and they'll do it. And some of them will do it really fast. Mm. Some of them will get ready really fast. And then the habits is that they start to chat. Now, I, I, I forgive them on this because at sometimes um, I'm not quick on the draw when it comes to starting the inputs. And I need to make sure that, that but that's what the time was for. It's providing structure. So when I arrived at this inquiry, I knew that if I can, I can narrow that time down to as small a time as possible, which more or less is around three minutes depending on um what i need them to do but three minutes to date title starter we begin mm -hmm. mm. yeah or more like so, three minutes pack everything away stand behind your chairs and then off you go to play time you know so so it arose out of how you you know watched your class and saw what what needs mm. there that they had there actually you were picking up on something which was not an entirely negative thing but just mm. a, just a small thing that you felt that you could improve yeah and you could see an aspect of your own practice where you might be mm. i don't know as you say a little bit slow in the uptake for things so it actually guides well, you as well as them, incredibly right? hard working but some of them will, will inevitably write very much slower or need right. an extra second to an extra minute or two just to finish off those starter questions or whatever it is we're doing at the start 
And so the, the challenge for the first inquiry was to de determine exactly how much time is reasonable to allow them versus how much time, how quickly I want us to start the actual lesson that we begin. And that adaptation to to what to, to the whole starter business that you described mm. as well is that something you've done um, subsequent to completing that bit of the that that inquiry? Well, well, my use of starters was something that I began, or rather, was sort of trained in with me um, yeah. my first year. So it was just a question of what is available in the room for children to get started as soon as they enter the room. And so inevitably, I will be in have a break time setting up my PowerPoint for maths. And on the PowerPoint, there will be the starter, the date and the starter questions. Yes. So as soon as they come in, the books will be ready for them on their table. They come in, they see the book, book open, get started. Yes. And then it was just a matter of just fine tuning that those timings down. Yeah. And, and you're uh, still doing and you're still doing that. You're still, oh, still doing it, it now. And but I think I've gotten a fairly good idea as to how long I can reasonably put that timer on now. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you were so reflective um, in that inquiry, because I think so often we can make a change in the classroom and we think that change is linear. So we think, mm -hmm. well, I've done X, so now I'm <laughs> going to get Y out. And that's brilliant. But I love your reflection that actually kind of made um, it worse. No, no, you, the kids yeah, are think finishing more often really quickly. you go back to the start, the more often you realise, actually, I could probably do that a bit better. And so yeah. more, I guess it's not linear, it's more cyclical. Yes, you know? yeah. So I like that. It's kind of iterative loops. And then I like the mm -hmm. fact they've got a continuous activity. Because the thing I was thinking about as well, was there might be mm -hmm. children that take a long time or find it more difficult to write mm -hmm. the date exactly. and the title. And you wouldn't want them to, to feel sort of singled out. But having mm -hmm. a continuous task kind of solves that problem if they go straight on it, to it, do it. It allows those who would finish those start that start or the time and the or date and title sorry mm -hmm. uh, who finish it quickly to have something to do continuously while the other ones catch up and then we all start the lesson together and it's a small thing isn't it it sounds like quite a small thing when we're describing it but actually mm. getting those habits and routines right in your classroom are a massive thing yeah. I always found for the, your the well-being subtle but noticeable, mm. very much so. Like it's like you can't help but feel like, yeah, everything is going according to plan, even and, as different children will reach that point, you know, separately. And I guess it buys you that well-being at the start of the lesson as well. If you need to move around with something, if students are in that routine, it means you know you don't have to start your lessons like you know some of my lessons started by saying, "Will you be quiet?" and and sort of just <laughs> just get on with it. Obviously, I never did that as a teacher, mm. but I've heard some teachers did. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's 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 really it's really fascinating actually that fine tuning that detail um, has has really helped you and it's really pleasing that your inquiry helped you to do that um, and more generally how do you think your inquiry approach has helped with your personal growth as a teacher? I have found that with the inquiries with the responsibility and independence that they have granted me in my own classroom, my own practice, my own questions, asking my own data gathering, like they're not even assessed properly. And while that may provide some, maybe make some pause to, you know, people that might think, oh, so what you're doing isn't really being checked properly, aside from from my mentors and various other co colleagues that I, co I collaborate with. Um, at the same time, it's like um, it lives and dies with me. And that has been so freeing. It's been so um, liberating that I, I own it. 
in a sense, and it's, it's, it's mine to do with as I will, and I can decide what to do with it. It could be that after all my inquiry, it's like, okay, I haven't really found anything that can help me, but that was still useful, because I know now what not to do if I had chosen to go down a different path and I got and yield different results. So generally speaking, for my personal growth, I wish it had been introduced to me much sooner. But then again, is that cash 22? Because if it had been introduced to me sooner, I wouldn't know what to do with it. You, you get my meaning. I'm, I'm, it feels very satisfying to complete my inquiry as and when I want to do it. I think that's so important, George, what you said about learning what not to do as well, because that's, it's important to fail as a teacher. And, and really, it's not about failing. But mm. if you think of, of, of classrooms as, you know, kind of large and complex systems in mm. which every action you take has an impact one way or the other, but it can make it worse, it can make it better, that sort of iterative loop yeah. of action all the time and and, and fine-tuning it really it's hopefully something that that now becomes habit because when your next problem comes up whatever that might be or challenge it's it's an approach you can apply to it um as as well i think mm-hmm. it's interesting that you mentioned uh the word fail because yeah it's not really fail it's more like um troubleshooting and a bug has come up and an error has come up and like okay where's the source of this and um i might talk about that more a bit later because it's something that's you know been on my mind as uh, as as i go through the ecf has has has, um the inquiry used up a lot of your time george on top of your teaching yes and no. Um, yes, it requires a bit of my time, but no more than I would normally spend on the ECF and the modules and the various self-studies. I, ha- I have that. During my first year, I had those those two hours, and this year I have that one hour. And more often than not, I'm just typing up what I, what I found out from my mm. observations on how my inquiries went. Um, so no, it, it, yes, it does take up my time, but um, the data is being collected as I teach. Like, yeah the the actual inquiry itself is happening when I'm in the classroom teaching anyway. Right. So, of course, naturally, it's taking up my time. It's taking up brain space as well and taking up memory and taking up priority time. And um, yeah. But no more so than and anyone else, I guess. So so it's it, it's part of your assessment of your teaching. Mm. It's part of your reflection upon your teaching. Mm. It's not separate from your teaching. I wouldn't say it as separate, although the recording aspect of it takes up the um, the free time okay. that ECTs have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, though, as you as you wind forward your career, though, and mm. you continue to take an inquiry approach to your own learning, mm. you won't be recording at all, will you? You're, you're not recording for any particular audience. You're not reporting back. You're doing it for yourself. And I suppose that that becomes more habitual than I suppose. Is that mm. what you imagine will happen? I haven't really thought that far ahead, if I'm being honest, but I can only imagine that you're right as um, as I guess as I level up in my own abilities, this inquiry and um, not necessarily recording, but more like exploration of what I can or cannot do in the classroom. And as I try new things and experiment, I could I'll own, it'll only get, you know, I'll only learn more, but it happens, yeah. it happens in the classroom, it happens on the job. Yeah, it, it won't happen from, well, actually, well, that research was indeed some part of it, but it won't happen by just read by just reading the books. That's right. That's right. I mean, if the more you know, if you do those things, that's a, that's a great bonus. And teachers who exactly. do that 
often do feed into their own teaching but if you're yes. if you're yes. doing that and not reflecting in your own practice mm. then you're not then that then you're missing 70 percent of it at least right i've often felt that um well like my um, my teacher training was more or less the prologue of my career it's how like how everything started how we got here so to speak and um year one was my actual training there's no better training than the real thing and yeah. <laughs> within a few months the difference was between how i started and what well, like christmas of that first year was palpable to me i felt so much more, obviously nowhere near where i needed to be as a teacher but so much more confidence so much more so much more i felt much better in my position as a teacher more self-assured and uh, that's only only increased so so i now reach the point where i quote you back to yourself george <laughs> because you you told us in your end module completion um for the last module you said that you feel you are well on your way to becoming the teacher you want to be mm. um what, what did you mean by that what, what i've always imagined myself as a teacher that can handle anything Ast asterisk and by, and by that asterisk i mean what does anything mean in the classroom what what can we what can, what happens in a classroom that uh, teachers need to handle and i'll admit to my naivete a little bit and admit my ignorance that i don't quite know what anything really encompasses at all but i have a better idea now and um when i say handle it i usually like I, well I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about you know my circumstances i'm um uh, I'm on the spectrum. Uh, I was diagnosed with Asperger's when I was a teenager, and of course you'd go by uh, um, autism spectrum disorder these days. And um, teaching on the spectrum is difficult. It is something that I'm not, an aspect of my life I'm not really secretive about or ashamed about, but it's something that I know about myself that I know I will find challenges. And um, in going through becoming the teacher that I want to be, I want not be, not really in spite of that, but because of that, or or using that as part of who I am, and my practice as a teacher, it's um, becoming the teacher that the teacher that I want to be, the teacher who's capable of handling anything, the the teacher who can do. Can be a, you, do you, I, am, I, am I getting across? Yeah, you are. I yeah. wonder if you've got an example. Is there, is there, I mean, so if you, oh. if you see your your place on the spectrum as mm. as your superpower, what 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 does it lend to your teaching? That I, perhaps I have two I have two ideas and two responses to that question. The first is that um, it's not just teachers who are on the spectrum. All all manner of students will come through your classroom, and I've had more than a few who are diagnosed, undiagnosed, what have you, and yeah. the level of um, well, I, I get them. I get it. I know mm -hmm. where they're coming from. And when they get overstimulated, I'm like, I'm right there with you, little guy. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> overstimulated too, and I'm trying to figure out how to deal with it. And that leads into my second response in that getting overstimulated was a real problem during my first year of teaching. It still is. Yeah. Um, I own that problem. And me and my mentor and my induction tutor, we worked really hard to address that problem. And it came right down to for me learning how to better regulate my emotions how to better regulate my stress and there were things going on at home that you know weren't helping and so on i won't get into that here but um the classroom in particular turned out to be an incredibly loud bright environment and anyone on the um the spectrum would be able to tell you like i i really don't want to be able to handle this mm. and learning how to handle that was a particular was 
a particular challenge of mine during my first year. I'd like to say that I can handle it now, but really it's an ongoing journey. I'm much better now than I was this time last year in, in, in regards to how I manage myself, how I conduct my emotions, what I act on. And even though sometimes um, that overstimulation still reaches its peak, um, the, the, the training that the, or the, the practice that I've been going through was just a um, question of choice. Like there's a moment between stimuli and response and that moment is choice. What do you choose to do? What do you choose to act on? And sometimes that choice is take a breath, mm. turn to your TA. I need five minutes. I'm going to get a glass of water. I'm going to try and regulate my emotions because if my um, if one of my pupils is allowed to step outside to regulate, why can't I go step outside to regulate? And because I can do that, because I can recognize the signs of overstimulation and choose mm. to do something about it, it's meant that my classroom demeanor, the atmosphere in which that I try to create in my classroom is altogether just way more welcoming and inducive of success and learning. That's really, really interesting, George. I wonder if you can say or if you've thought about what all the different ingredients which have helped get you to this point mm. 12 months on from where you were. And because mm. you've mentioned your mentor and your induction tutor. So there's obviously something going on in your school and the relationships you have with colleagues in your school, which oh, is. Oh, absolutely. Yes. OK. Um, this is going back to um, what you mentioned, Elaine, about the concept of failure. And uh, I don't want to I don't protect don't particularly enjoy using that word, but I'm going to use it in lieu of anything else, because what's the support I have here? boils down to one element that I've I rather adore about this school I am allowed to fail I am allowed to get things wrong I am allowed to mess up because my mentor and my colleagues and my induction tutor my head teacher they're all they're all brilliant and they say George not gonna lie you might have messed this up <laughs> you, not gonna, not, not going to sugarcoat it. This is not what we want. This is you need to be much better than this. But we're going to help you get there. Okay, this is what you do next. Mm. Is, and then and then the plan starts between mm. all the different moving parts in the staff and the school. Uh, this is what you need next. This is what you're going to need to do. Make sure you have this ready. And then for, with that level of just systemic support from everyone. Um, that was probably the key ingredient in being able to overcome not just the challenges of overstimulation, but all of them, all the all the um, yeah. all the issues that I may or may not have undergone throughout that first year. This is kind of what we know, Elaine, isn't it, about um, about the importance of leadership and culture? Do you want to come in there? Yeah, I you know I was just going to say it's it's so great to have more neurodiverse teaching teachers in teaching, and we know that you know, schools aren't, haven't always traditionally been very good at supporting that. So I'm so pleased that, that your school sounds like it, it has. That's really inspirational. And you can already see the impact that's having on some of your mm. pupils when you say you you understand them. So that, you know, that's a, a tremendously in, inspiring thing. But I, I was going to ask a question more generally, really, mm. about what you think schools and educational leaders and policymakers should be doing uh, more of to, to to support the inclusion of, of neurodiverse um, teachers in schools more generally? It's 
Uh, even speaking generally, it's a very difficult um, question to sort of hone in on and find the correct answer because everyone's experience with um, neurodiversity is going to be different. Um, I am on somewhere on the spectrum and I recognize myself as on the spectrum, but there have been times where I have to remind people that I'm on the spectrum and my ability to mask my symptoms is, um, well, I'm quite proficient at it these days. It wasn't always when I was growing up, but these days... Um, it's something I have to remind people of. Yes, I'm, I'm autistic, and you're going to have, and, you, and that's that's something I'm working on. It's something I have to, you know, something you have to be aware of as I try and work with other adults in the industry. But speaking more generally to support neurodiverse, I guess we, I mean, <laughs> it's one it's one thing to say we want to support neurodiverse teachers, but do we want to support them in being neurodiverse teachers, or do you want them to be neurodiverse teachers who can be who can mask well enough to teach more more more, more traditionally? And that's where the rub is: do we want that or do we not? And for me, it's always been a case of um, I want I, I've always been able to do what everyone else can do. How I do it is the question. So the question isn't what can we do, but how can we do it? And um, it does often come down to the fact that, yeah, we have ways of thinking, ways of um, of of working that may be outside of the norm. Welcome us, use us. We are we can be very invaluable um, to your staff. We can be incredibly useful to you and have perspectives that you might not have considered. And uh, give us give us our give us our moments, I suppose, because each teacher on the new on the spectrum will be different, and their needs and their priorities will be slightly different as well, and their experience with autism will be different as well. They may um, they may be very open about their um, neurodiversity. They may be um, very 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 aware of it, but also wanting to keep it to themselves, and that should be respected. Again, it's a very tricky um thing to narrow down and be able to find out hey, what can we do to help neurodiversity just well how about listen to us we probably already have a good idea as to what we need yeah and i think that's a really interesting challenge there um and george about you know do you want us to make us fit within a system or is there freedom there for people to be different and i i, I think that's that's a really good provocation um, and I think it's a, a dialogue we need to continue having in education. But but thank you for for being so so mm. honest about that because it, it's oh, really yeah. fascinating to hear the conversation. Please um, be be more open about it. I um, it just it'd be a much cleaner, much happier world if um, I was just allowed to tell whoever I want, and now I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, don't be afraid of the conversation because it needs to be had, and the longer you don't have it. The, the, the less of it that you have, we're weaker for it. It, do, it does strike me, though, that we will have ECTs and maybe other teacher colleagues listening to this podcast mm. who are themselves neurodiverse and whose experiences haven't been as happy. Um, yeah. Because cause schools are all very pressured places, aren't they? And mm. for that reason, they're often very impatient places. 
And it's really interesting to hear you say, George, that your the leadership in your school and your mentors given you given you space to make mistakes. Actually, mm. been quite blunt with you. This is a mistake. Oh yeah, but I'll, but I'll but, but also the, is the way to get through to me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, but but uh, but that's also as you say, giving you your moment, allowing you your moment. I think that mm. that's that's a great line as well. And and it's hard. It's hard in. Um, for school leaders, I think always to to remember that that's important to do, and that however pressured a school is, um, a school is never more successful than the quality of its teachers, right? And so it really needs to nurture those teachers in all of their diversity. So so it's it is great, and as Elaine says, it's great that you're able to talk to us about this. Mm. I'm going to ask you um, a question actually about the framework itself and our program around the framework. And you can see our therapy dog has begun to start barking uninvited as always. Um, so, so we work really hard. I hope you credit mm. us for that, George, Elaine and I and our colleagues on trying to make our program as strong and as uh, all embracing as it can be. But there'll be things that it doesn't do. And there'll be things that early career teachers would like to have that they don't have. Perhaps they want a therapy dog. Is there um is there anything you feel that um our program or the ECF more generally misses that it should have? I mean, it's difficult for me because oh well, difficult for me to answer this question because I'm I don't really know what better looks like necessarily. And I don't want to um sort of speak um wrongly at this moment but if the ecf were to i guess it probably already does this but i'm just ignorant of the word but opening up dialogue about you know just being able about about people's different experiences and allowing ECTs and mentors and tutors and whoever else is on the platform to be able to get their say and to have honest discourse about about issues and challenges and unique challenges in particular because i can i can talk all day about the things that i've been facing and i'll uh, but applying that to context is like you know it's why i particularly love those um face-to-face -face meetings that i have um uh, for, for every module and being able to talk with my ects and get their uh, opinions on things and understand where they're coming from and not make sure that my experience is so insular because as you so rightly said um, my experience was altogether a very happy one, uh, altogether a very positive one and a productive one, but there are probably scores of teachers, both on and on the spectrum, whose experiences are very different from mine. And yeah. what can be learned? What can? And at the end of the day, school is about learning. So what can I learn from their experience? What can they learn from my experience? What can um, my head teachers learn from their head teachers? What can their head teachers do from, learn from mine? What And having discourse from up with between everyone will be just largely so much more beneficial. There is a there is a function for that actually on on, the, be, yeah. on on our extend platform. But you are it's not something you've missed. It is something that we disabled. <laughs> um, oh, because um, yeah, we, we in the very early days of our program we had discussion forums, but we we did we did bluntly we shut them down because. Uh, if you can remember, George, when you first enrolled yourself on our program, there are many things you didn't know about the program, the many things you didn't understand, 
and you would have been one of you know 100 of people didn't understand stuff and there were 100 and lots and lots and lots of people were asking questions in the discussion forums and actually probably perhaps what you didn't realize is that if you post a comment in the discussion forum everyone gets it in their inbox oh. and um and so we, we we decided we actually had to shut that down because because people were getting far too much and a lot of it was disinformation or people asking questions that other people should have known the answers to that kind of thing but that doesn't mean we couldn't investigate it itself and certainly the idea elaine of having themed discussions um mm. that somehow people can opt into that would be a great innovation i think it's a good challenge for us and i think yeah, yeah perhaps the online forums is it's quite a terrifying amount of, of freedom and things could go wrong but but providing opportunities for more structured dialogue online about certain problems and challenges people might be facing or themes that people could opt into with someone there within a few hours to curate it you know a, a leader at UCL you know and perhaps even some sort of suggestion board so you know people could suggest what they want to see on there or, or what they want to talk to other people about I think that that you know that that could be really interesting because we do have such a vast and powerful network that there is that potential there for dialogue you are you are right george it's a good challenge I will, for us. I will say that it was it was brief and um i unfortunately I don't really keep in contact anymore but there was uh, a short while where i was in contact with other neurodiverse teachers and we um which i mean it wasn't so much as looking for advice although sometimes we did bring up concerns in the classroom and ask how we how we dealt with it but um it was just talk and I think it wasn't necessarily collaboration, but it was just teacher talk and mm. as if we were sitting down in the staff room just talking shop like we are now. This kind of discussion should be happening, you know, just day to day with people, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe we, you know, maybe, well, you're right, George, because Mark yeah. and I always talk about the power of the staff room, hence the title for this podcast and the staff room being where the most powerful professional development can take place like you said through casual conversations mutual support for each other so maybe there are ways of us thinking about staff room chats or opening the staff room you know at, at different points for people to come in and talk about different things um yeah, yeah you've done our job for us tonight uh george thank you very much you, you may have given yourself an extra job as well george because i think elaine and i are probably going to chat about this in the office tomorrow but one of the upshots might be we might give you a call and uh <laughs> Wow. See if you can give us a bit of advice on on how to set these things up, or you know, give just a little bit of input. I think that'd be great. It really would be well, very I'm, helpful. I'm for not us. sure how much help I'll be, but I'm here to help. So. Let's help. <laughs> well, uh, before before we go, before Mark's therapy dog gets um, too over excited because it wants his tea, we give every guest on our podcast a post-it note to write some advice on, um, and you can write whatever you want on your post-it note, and you can stick your post-it note wherever you want. So I'm going to pass you the post-it note and uh, I'd like you to tell us what advice you'd like to write on yours and where would you stick it? Okay, well, in this hypothetical staff room of ours where people of teachers and teaching assistants of all walks of life are coming through to have chats about the things that need to be chatted about and hopefully gain understanding, I would like to leave a small little post-it note for everyone who walks through. Hopefully people will watch it and or be able to read it and it just says something very simple. It just says, be a bit forgiving of yourself, please. 
Um, I think it's important that, you know, this idea of pressure, you mentioned it earlier and how, how schools can be a very pressurized environment. And I, I really think that on every level from school governors to everyone, or to head teachers, to, um, to teachers, to teaching assistants, to students themselves, we just need to be a bit forgiving of ourselves and let ourselves off the hook every now and then. Just take the pressure off. You know, I, it's a it's a bit of a, a silly one, if you ask me, but it's something that I really think that we need to get, you know, we need to be better at. Um, I can hear a bell ringing, George. I don't know if you can. And uh, that's telling us that we've got to forgive ourselves a little bit and let, and let ourselves go home. Mm. Um <laughs> George, it's been really, really uh, delightful uh, talking to you and listening to you this afternoon. I do mean that. I hope you enjoyed your decaf coffee and your custard cream. Um, uh, good luck with the rest of this week. Good luck with the rest of this year. Good luck with any inquiry you develop for this module. Enjoy those children that you love so much teaching. Um, and and say hello to your mentor and your induction tutor for as well, because they're clearly doing a great job too. Mm. Thanks, George. Thank it's been an much. absolute pleasure. Our thanks go to George home from St. Ebbs Church of England Primary School in Oxfordshire for sharing a decaf coffee and a, and a custard cream biscuit with us this week in the ECF staff room. Please do get in touch with us if you'd like to chat with us about your ECF experience. In the meantime, do join us soon for a biscuit and a chat with another colleague in the ECF staff room. If you've enjoyed this episode, there's more where that came from. Search IOE Podcasts from wherever you get your podcasts to find episodes of the ECF Staff Room as well as more podcasts from the IOE. And a quick favour before you go. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate it if you could give the IOE podcast a rating. Five stars would be nice if you're enjoying the show. And that will help us to reach more people who are interested in hearing what the ECF Staff Room is all about. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 